get cracking, as we say. All right, this week's Parshas, Parshas Noach. And uh, lots to discuss, uh, especially the uh, destruction of the world, just uh, 1,600 years after it was made, right? So after it was created. So uh, let's, let's, uh, tackle this. let's tackle this a little bit. Parshas Bereshis takes us 10 generations from Adam until Noah. And interestingly, we're introduced to the goodness of Noah last week. And this week, we're going to get into the story of the flood and uh, his, uh, his family and, and how it plays out. So as we've been doing recently, let's just give a quick synopsis of the uh, primary Topics of the Parsha because we don't get to all the topics. The first topic is the uh, ref, uh, referring to the offspring of Noah. The offspring is one's actions. Uh, that's what Rashi points out. It says, Ela told us Noah. These are the offspring of Noah. And then it doesn't tell us his offspring. It doesn't tell us his children. Rashi says, um, what the Torah is teaching us, She'ikr told Oseyem, the main offspring, the main creation, shall tzaddikim of righteous people, is their maizim tovim. Is their maizim tovim, is their, uh, is their good deeds. Okay. So the parsha opens up with the offspring of, of Noah, his actions, as well as the, uh, the listing of the children. Hashem commands Noah to build the teva. Interestingly, what we discussed in Shobotim Minchamarev is just to notice, and we're not going to get into the message yet, to notice the difference between Noah and Avram. Next week's Parsha, we're going to have Avram being informed of the destruction of a single city. And Avram goes, uh, I'll use American terms, berserk, so to speak. Not God forbid he lost his mind, let's people use it, but Avram says, not under my watch. Right? Not under my watch. Which uh, reminds me of a family story. Well, my grandfather, who I'm named after, apparently he had a... Uh, um, he had uh, about a decade or so before he actually passed away, passed away on him Kipper, about 10 years before he passed away. He uh, was very, very ill. And he, um, he was legally dead. He was legally dead. They, uh, they, declared him, uh, they declared him dead and he had a whole story about what he... Uh, af- after it happened, actually, you know, okay, take it. Everybody's got their own thing, but he, he, he told his children. He told my mother and her siblings that he actually felt himself leaving his body, and he uh, and uh, it felt like he was going over mountains and hills, and his family was coming towards him to greet him, to uh, to uh, bring him to Elam Haba, and then he suddenly he felt himself being pulled back, and what had happened was. There was a uh, there was an African American nurse that was very very close with my grandparents, and she uh, she came into the room as they were figuring this out, uh, and they saw my grandfather passed away, and she said not under my watch, <laughs> and she she started working on him and uh, she brought him back, um, and but ever since then apparently for the last decade or so of his life he always told the kids he always told the children and grandchildren. I've I've been there. You have nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing mm-hmm. scary about about leaving this world. Mm-hmm. He was uh, that was that was his uh, 
that was his message. He was never totally there, but okay, that's a little, what they call a, a uh, what, afterlife uh, type of uh, experience. But this woman said, not under my watch, and she made sure that, that he came back. He wasn't so happy, he said, when he, he came back. He wasn't so, he said he was fine, but all right, they brought me back, so I got to do more mitzvahs. It's good. I'm happy about that too. Be it as it may. So uh, what's interesting is that Avram says, not under my watch, Sodom is not going to be overturned. And he starts davening. Ultimately, it didn't work. We don't find that same passion from Noah, which is, I'm just pointing that out. It's not, I'm not pointing it out, God forbid, in a negative way. I'm just pointing it out. And I think there's a lot to be, uh, a, a lot to get to. And I think we will, as we go through the psukkah, we're going to see some very important differences. The Torah does want us to notice the different types of tzaddikim that exist in the world. There's different personalities. And not all tzaddikim are the same. Not all tzaddikim are tzaddikim in the same way. They don't, not, people are, people are uh, as great as Nayak and Avram, as Avram were. You, you, you can't look at Avram and say every tzaddik is a tzaddik like Avram. Avram had his, his uh, place of tzidkus and Nayak had his, his place of tzidkus. Okay. The Parsha continues, again, the whole story of the Mabel, fine. We will get into that primarily. The next uh, primary topic of the Parsha comes out following the Mabel. Nayak and his family comes out of the Teva and they bring sacrifices and Hashem blesses them that they will re, uh, repopulate the earth. Something that is fascinating to note. You ever hear of the expression, the 70 nations? Yeah. Where, where's it come from? It comes from chapter 10. Okay? If you look at Perak Yud... Of of uh, of our parsha, yeah, and you read through all the names of the children of Shem, Cham, and Yafes. There's seventy names. Oh, so wow. Perak Yud. If you read through that, just look, count all the names. You'll see how many nations come from Shem, how many come from Cham, how many come from Yafes. It's not only seventy, but they're broken down amongst the three children of uh, of Nayach. And you, you just need to sit down and, and count the names, and it's exactly seventy. And that's that's where the the, the term. Of, uh, of 70 nations come from. And this is the bracha that Hashem gave to Noah and his children. Then the Torah gives the seventh mitzvah ever given to the world. We call it the seven Noahide laws. Interestingly, it, they weren't given to Noah. The first six were given to Adam and Chava. The world had six mitzvahs right away. The seventh mitzvah, which was given to Noah was the prohibition of eating Avram and Achai, a limb from a live animal, and that made it seven. We call it the seven Noahide laws, but just notice that that, that is the one mitzvah that was unique, that was given to him. The other six pre-existed, uh, pre-existed Nayach. So that is the third primary topic of the Parsha. The fourth primary topic of the Parsha is Hashem creating the promise the bris with the world that there will never be another flood. And that promise comes about through the rainbow. Through Hashem showed a rainbow. Now people are, uh, are, people think that when you see a rainbow after a rain, that's the rainbow that Hashem showed to the world. That's not the rainbow Hashem showed to the world. It is obviously of like it. You do have those colors, but that's a physical thing. That's a physical thing that comes out when wet particles and the sun shines on it in different ways. The rainbow that Hashem showed to the world had nothing to do with rain and nothing to do with wetness. It was a rainbow that Hashem Mamish made, literally just made as, as colors. And the purpose of the rainbow were, was actually to reflect the variety of sacrifices 
that Noah brought. He brought many, all the types of animals, and they were all different colors and all different shapes and all different forms. And Hashem's promise to the world came after Noah brought his offerings, which was the third primary topic. Now in the fourth primary topic, Hashem showed that it was Noah's sacrifices that, are, that is instilling in the world that there will never be, uh, there will never be uh, another flood. Okay. The fifth primary topic of the Parsha is um, a incident where uh, Noah, after coming out of the ark, he, he uh, brought his sacrifices, he, he drank wine, he became drunk, and after he became drunk, he fell asleep. Uh, his three children were there, Cham, who ended up being cursed, along with his descendants, mocked his father, which... There's a lot to uh, say about that, even though it's frowned upon that Noach did this. So you'd say maybe Cham is, you know, giving Musr, you know, here, maybe Cham. You, 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 don't, you, don't, you don't treat your father like that. It doesn't make a difference whether your father's right, whether your father's wrong. You don't treat your father like that. Cham and his children are cursed. Shame and Yafes, who covered their father with proper honor, albeit in different ways. Shame, who we come from, covered Nayach out of honor for his father. Yefes covered Nayach because he felt that a body should be covered, but it wasn't necessarily done out of um, uh, a feeling of kibud, out of a feeling of, of respect. So the, the descendants of Yefes ended up with a bracha, but not to the extent that the descendants of shame, that we have the, the uh, fortunate uh, you know, opportunity to come from. So that whole incident is the fifth primary topic of the Parsha. Then the, the Parsha lists in chapter 10, the 70 nations. Um, then the Parsha shifts over to the Dar HaFlaga, the, the generation that tried to build a tower to go fight against Hashem. And there's a lot, we're not going to get into that, but there's so many fascinating uh, uh, Midrashim on this um, According to the Midrashim, they actually, they, they knew all about the shape of the globe, how to get to the moon. Um, there were people who already had left from the atmosphere. Um, their goal of building the tower wasn't that they felt they could build a tower up to Hashem. They knew about the seven heavens. They weren't, they weren't foolish. Their goal was actually to find ways to leave gravity to leave the atmosphere because they knew that gravity ends at a certain point and once you and but they they weren't sure how to propel themselves out they were going to build this tower to get themselves out of this uh you know uh to to go beyond uh beyond the force and and uh if you keep going on this topic they also knew that the and this is a a, a very uh, important topic for and again we're dealing with the with the children you know of of grandchildren of, of Nayach, um, they also knew that Hashem does nothing against the world when there's, when there's, um, when people are getting along, when there's achdos. And one of their primary purposes is they knew that even if they sin against Hashem, if they have achdos, Hashem will never destroy anything. Mm-hmm. And the goal of building this tower was actually to bring everybody together. Mm-hmm. For one single purpose. And the only way that Hashem was able to stop it. Was by making 70 languages. That's what that's what the Torah says. right? Hashem changed their Lashon. He changed their languages. This way they stopped understanding each other. 
they couldn't communicate and that led to fighting in the building of the tower and that led to machoikas and that's how he was able to, to uh, uh, destroy them. But otherwise, they, their, their actual vision made a lot of sense, what they wanted to do. It was within the realms of understanding how HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, how HaKadosh Baruch Hu works and this you know, uh, should speak to us a lot. Should speak to us a lot about uh, today's uh, today's tsaris that are that are going on. Halavai, it should it should be the footsteps of Mashiach, and it should be the birth pangs of uh, of Mashiach. Um, Halavai, you know, we know that we're in that kufa. We know we're in we're in that era. Unfortunately, you don't need to be alive so long to realize that if you think that this has never happened before, you're a fool. Uh, this has happened many many times. And uh, people are saying it's the first time ever. It's the first. What? Uh, what? <laughs> right. we, we've been a people. We've been a people uh, for thousands of years, and there's been pogroms, and there's been blood libels, and that, that's exactly what's going on. That's yeah. they, they just blame us for, right? for, for. That's right. They're blaming us. And but halavai, this should be. This should be. You know, now it's mamish in Eretz Yisrael. Hopefully, we'll take that as a sign. But we know that the way to protect ourselves when a time of tsaris, the way to make sure that we're protected is. With achdos, it's when it's when people are together, and I'm I'm not a prophet. I'm not a prophet. I could just say, before a week and a half ago, the amount of achdos that we have right now in Klal Yisrael it is it's been beautiful the past week and a half. Nobody cares about anybody else's uh, level of observance. It's not even a topic of conversation. People aren't judging each other for pettiness. And we're coming together for a singular purpose of making sure that Am Yisrael is taken care of. Perhaps, I'm not a prophet, maybe this is what Hashem wanted, unfortunately. And sometimes you need karbonus. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not Hashem, I'm not anything. Uh, but the amount of, of hatred that was taking place amongst Klal Yisrael it was terrifying. It was, was really terrifying amongst different people in Eretz Yisrael, outside Eretz Yisrael. And it's all gone. It's fascinating. Very interesting how it's all gone. Nobody, it's not, it's not even a, it's not even a topic. And and halavai, we can keep it that way. Halavai, you know, and and the the again the the Darhaflaga, the generation that Hashem separated because of of what they were doing. They they understood this. They understood that we're if if there's if there's achtas, we're protected. Doesn't mean that we're all that we're doing everything right. But if you want protection, as Klal Yisrael, there needs to be achtas. That's it. There needs what to is, that. That's the. What is the word? Unity, achdus, echad is being one. Echad, achdus, okay. is uh, is is oneness. So give me the Hebrew letters. Aleph, ches, dalid, vav, saf. Okay, echad, which is one, oh. and then vav, saf is plural. Oh. So you have mo- multiple people coming together as one. Oh. That's uh, that's uh, where the word achdus comes from. The eighth topic of the parsha is. Um, the naming of the generations from shame until Avram, that's going to be in uh, Parshas Lech Lecha. And the end of our Parsha is uh, the story with Avram, where his father tried to kill him as a child in Orkastim. He ended up killing his brother Haran. Avram had a brother named Haran, um, which interestingly, if you change around the name of Haran, it spells Rina. Um, but uh, just uh, focus on this for a moment. I'm going to be speaking about this to Mincha Marv tonight. I share a short to our Torah. Um, Rabbi Galinsky asks a fascinating question. He says that Avram was a child, and, and uh, we all know, the, the Medjish brings down the story. I'll just repeat it quickly, 
that uh, uh, Tarach, who was Abram's father, uh, followed idols. And actually the king, Nimrod, of the time, he, they, they worshipped fire specifically. They worshipped fire specifically as the primary power. The primary power of, of the world for various reasons. Avram, as a child, uh, broke all the idols in, the, in his father's shop. He brought him to Nimrod because he cared about his kid. He cared about his kid. He felt this kid is, is uh, off the derech. Nebuch, he's believing in something that can't be seen. He takes him to Nimrod. So Nimrod says to Avram, he says, he says, what do you believe? And he says, I believe in Hashem. Nimrod, and Avram says back to him, what do you believe? And Nimrod says, I believe in fire. So Avram says, well, I believe in fire. He says, fire is very powerful. Avram says, yeah, you should believe in water. Because if you have a lot of water, it puts out fire. Nimrod says, okay, you're right. Avram says, but why you want water? You should worship clouds. They bring the water. He says, you're right. So he says, what about the wind that pushes the clouds away? You should worship wind. And the, cl- and the, the oceans are what give the water to the clouds. And he starts taking uh, Nimrod on a whole wild goose chase of the symmetry of the world. Until a certain point, Nimrod says, okay, I get your point, little kiddo. Um, I'm going back to worshiping fire. And if you don't believe in fire, I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace and we'll see if you're God or, or the fire is more powerful. That's how the Medrash explains the background. Avram gets thrown into the fiery furnace. Hashem makes a miracle. Fruit starts to grow inside of the fiery furnace and food and he's walking around and there's no problem. Now here's what happened. Avram had a brother named Haran. Hey, Resh Nun. Avram's brother Haran was a little wishy-washy, and rightfully so. He never heard of Hashem. Nobody had figured out the oneness of Hashem. And they asked Haran, are you following Avram or you're following Nimrod? Do you believe? And Haran said, if Avram's saved, I'll believe in Hashem. Otherwise, I'm going to follow. And Avram was saved. So they threw Haran in and he was killed. He was killed. He died in the furnace. So Rabianko Galinsky asks, now, okay, they explain it was because his level of Amuna didn't reach the level where a miracle happens at a time of Tsarist, just because you... You know, there could still be tsaris, even though you know there's a rabbinic life. You could still have tsaris in your life. And there could still be terrible things that happen. Uh, and in order for there to be a revealed miracle, it has to be, you know, you have to be revealed completely. Right? So that, that's how the, the basic explanation of, of why Haram wasn't saved. Rebianko Galinsky asks, he says, a little bit of sympathy, though. You know, where's, where do we find that, that Haran was ultimately rewarded? He gave himself up to Shem Shamayim. Right, he agreed to be thrown mamish into a fiery furnace. That's a big deal. That that is a commitment. I don't care if you're wishy washy before that. That's a commitment. So even if he wasn't on the madriga to be saved with a on the level to be saved with a revealed miracle, but where's where does it play out? And Rabbi brings out a fascinating point at the end of our parsha, where it, it brings down all the generations. He points out that every single one of our matriarchs are from Haran. Every single one. Not only is every single matriarch from her, well, uh, I mean, Sarah was his daughter. So his own daughter married Avram. Okay? Then you have Rivka, who came from Besuel, who was a grandson of Haran. So Rivka came from them. And then uh, Rachel and Leah, also, same family. Bila and Zilpah were also children of Lavan from a Pilegesh, from a concubine. So they had the same father with different mothers. They were also descendants from the patriarch. So you have Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, Leah, Bila, Zilpah are all coming from Haran. So Avram's the father of the generation, but Haran actually is giving over the, the matriarchs of the people. And if you keep going later in the generations as well, Moab, 
also comes from Haran, and that led to Rus and David and, and Malchus based David. And, and he says, your uncle, you know, sometimes you see a, a miracle right away, and so a person's saved in it. And sometimes you, right away you look at it and you're like, what did that accomplish? Now you're killed, now you're dead. What happened? But ultimately in, in the world of, of MS, in the world of truth, in the world where you have a big picture, because of Haran's self-sacrifice to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we have Klai Yisrael. You can't have Klai Yisrael just without Mizgin Yaakov. Where's the Imais? Where's, where's the mothers? And they all, if, if you look at it, they're all coming straight from, from Haran. So uh, just uh, something to point out over there. All right. So now with that synopsis, let us go back and start out Parshas Nayach. Eila told us Nayach. These are the offspring of Nayach. You know who the offspring of Nayach was? Nayach, Ish Sadik Tamim He was an Ish. Number one, say, say the Bali Musr. Let me tell you about his greatness. Number one is, he was an Ish. What's an Ish? A mensch. A human. You have to be a human. And then you could be a tzaddik. And then you could be tamim. And you could be a complete person. It works in this order. It doesn't work in any other order, the Torah says. You can't just be, ah, I'm so special. I do big things. I do, I take care of others. I'm, I, you know, and I'm, and in order to be successful in, in spirituality, it's the same as being successful in physicality. It, it's a process. It's a process. And you got to first understand what it means to be a human being. And once I know what it means to be a human being, I could be a tzaddik, which means I can, I'm on the path of trying to do my best. And then tamim is you are always, you're, you're complete, you're always doing it, you're always doing it right, but this is the process. Haya, he was, in his generation, Ayat was a complete, a man who was a tzaddik, a complete person in his generation. Eso alaykim, his halich nayach. Nayach walked with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So, I, ever since I heard this Chassam Seifer two years ago, I can never read this verse without, uh, without his explanation, because it's like right here in the words. It's fascinating. It says the Chassam Seifer. He says, if you look, if, if you know a little bit of uh, math over here, it's simple, it's, it's simple history once you know the years. So, Noach was... Noach passed away in the year 2008. Okay, he passed away in the, Noach passed away in the year 2008. If you want to know the exact calculation, it was um, the Mabel, how do I know this? The Mabel started, the Torah tells us, in the year 1656 of the world. So 1656 years after Hashem made the world, he destroyed it. Okay? The Torah tells us at the time of the Mabel, Noach was Sheish Me'eshana. He was 600 years old. So if the Mabel started in 1656 and Noach was 600 years old, that means he was born in the year 1056. Okay? 1056. He passed away, says the Torah, when he was 950 years old. So if he was born in the year 1056... And he passed away at the age of 950. He passed in the way in 2006. Okay? So Nayach, the world was 2006 years old when Nayach passed away. The Torah also tells us famously now with the state of Israel, Avram was born in the year 1948. Really? Okay? 1948 for the world, Avram Avinu was born. Okay? So Nayach, 10 generations prior... <coughs> 
lived 950 years until 2006. Avram was born in the year 1948. So from 1948 to 2006, how many years did Nayak and Avram's lives overlap? 58 years. Which is, adds a real new dimension. We, we discussed this last year. It adds a new dimension to understanding that it's fascinating where Avram came from because we view Avram like he never knew anybody who knew Hashem. His great, 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 great grandfather was Nayak. And Nayak was alive with him for 58 years, the first 58 years. Now, I don't know if they were neighbors, if, uh, you know, they were both in the Middle East. I don't know how well they knew each other. There's a lot of people uh, there along the way. And we do consider Avram to have found Hashem on his own. But listen to this, how the Chassam Seifer reads this Pasuk. What's the gematria of Nayak? Nun Ches, 58. Nayak's 58, and Nayak and Avram lived together for 58 years. L- listen to how the, the Chassam Seifer reads this Pasuk. Ela told us Noach, these are the offspring of Noach. Noach, why are you saying his name again? It's, it's strange. It should say, Ela told us Noach, Shahu ish, who, was a, who was a righteous man. It says, Ela told us Noach, Noach is Sadiq Tamim. says Chassam Seifer, Noach means years, 58. These are the offspring of Noach. Noach, for 58 years, Ish Tzadik Tomim, there was a man who was a complete Tzadik, Bidoro Sov, in his generation. Avram. Referring to Avram. Es Halelokim, his Halech Noach. And he walked with Noach in front of God. So Noach had, had Avram in the same time frame for 58 years, also who was walking earth with Hashem. And these were the two specific gems, we'll, we'll call it, says the Chassam Zerv. And every time I read this post, it's like, I can't read it any other way anymore. It's like, you just, it's just, it's like right there. It's beautiful. It's a, it's a beautiful, uh, a beautiful uh, interpretation. But Darius itself, it was, uh, it was in the same generation. Okay. Now, this, the simple explanation, the, the, the basic way to read it without the gematria is letting us know that Noah was a tzaddik in his specific generation who walked with Hashem famously Rashi tells us the rabbis interpret it positively that he could be a tremendous tzaddik in, the, in a generation full of people who, who uh, are anti-godliness. Uh, and some say, Rashi doesn't say rabbis say, some say it's negative for Noah. In his generation he was a tzaddik, but if he would have been with Avram, he wouldn't have been such a tzaddik. So there's a lot to say about this Rashi. First of all, if, if Rashi, why would a person choose to look at this negatively? I don't know anywhere else in the Torah where it's like this. Where you have somebody who Hashem himself testifies is a complete tzaddik. And Rashi says, by the way, some people say, eh, he wasn't that great. I'm fascinated why Rashi would even bring down that opinion. You don't bring down opinions. And I'll tell you what, what I'll, I'll add to the question. When Rashi quotes the opinions, he says, Yesh Rabuseinu, some of the rabbis look at it positively and some look at it negatively, as if like, it's wrong for looking at it negatively, like it's the wrong opinion. So then why are you telling me this, Rashi? Mm-hmm. Now for all generations, we're now in St. Louis, we're all sitting here looking at this Rashi as if there's a problem, God forbid, with Nayach. What's, what's, uh, what's the message that, that Rashi's uh, giving us? Uh, I, I'm open to... I'm open to takes. I've seen answers. I've heard answers. Every answer that I hear 
to me seems to be more than a teretz, than a pshat, more of a way to wiggle out of the question than a direct answer uh, to, uh, to, to get to the point. But it's a question that bothers me. So I'm, I'm throwing it out there. Uh, if anybody has a take, I'll, I'll tell you a few of the, the approaches that I have and I'll tell you why I don't like it. One approach I have is uh, that I've seen is that Rashi did it so that Rashi felt the, one of the important messages the Torah wants to give over with this verse is you could be a tzaddik no matter what generation you're in. And how do I know that? This is the source. So Rashi wants to bring out to us living in these Meshuggah times and these crazy times. I might, I might say, listen, just look around. It's nuts. It's nuts. Uh, you know, I feel like, you know, a person could feel like there's no, uh, there's no straight thinking and, and, and there's, no, there's, no real, uh, there's no real path to know if even I myself am thinking this through. So one approach I thought is that, is that, no, that you see from here. Hashem himself calls Nayach an ish tzaddik tamim with the craziness that was going on in his generation. Was he Avram? No. So according to that shot, Noach's kind of being used as a scapegoat to give over this message to us, to encourage us that we could be a complete tzaddik. I hear, I hear, I, I, it's fine. I get that. I still don't think it's uh, why, why we need to use Noach as a scapegoat. I think you could learn it out from other places that you could be righteous and, uh, and, and do good no matter what your surroundings are. There's plenty of other places in the Torah. I don't know. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen some other pshatim as well, but I'm, I'm open. Yeah. To oppose this, I think that, you know, the, the Noah's name was mentioned three times. Yeah. And so he, he lived at three different times. One was building, building the ark and living what he did. The other one was when he was actually living um, in the, table. the time of the flood. And then after that, he had to rebuild. So he was three, Hashem used him in three different ways. And I can't see how anybody would would Very interesting. would be able to oppose him um, because he. I don't think any other person has. I, how I anybody could view it negatively? You mean? Yes. To oppose, uh, I, anybody I could view it negatively. Would be on the positive side. Right. So I don't know why Rashi said that. Right. I hear. I hear. So you agree, as you're agreeing with the question, you're agreeing yes, with the question. Absolutely. There's got to be a, a message that will hit home uh, one day in my head. I just don't have one. I don't have one. But it's the type of thing that, uh, that uh, irks me. Okay. Noyach has three sons. Noyach has three sons. As Shem, as Chom, as Yafes. Shem, Chom, and Yafes. The place was full of Chamas. There's a dispute what Chamas means in the Gemara. There's a dispute in the Gemara. Hamas certainly has to do with finances. Um, and this, the world was full of a lot of problems. Uh, there was promiscuity all, all over the place. Um, the, it says that the people had no boundaries sexually to a point where the animals and even the plants and earth, the vegetation itself, needed to be cleansed because the people impact the environment of the world, and it was so. So there was a lot of other things going on. So why does it say that the world was filled with chamas? So the Gemara says the, that the Torah is teaching me that the final straw that caused everything to fall apart is 
a lack of honesty when it comes to finances. Now, specifically in what area there's a dispute in the Gemara what Hamas is. Either Hamas means forced sales, okay? So I walk over to you and I say, um, this, is my, uh, this is mine, and I put a dollar down. And I say, I didn't steal it, I paid you for it. You're like, yeah, but I want my soda, give it back. I'm like, yeah, but I didn't steal, I actually paid you. Stealing is when you, you have a loss of value, you didn't lose value. That was the mindset of people, that's how they treated each other. They had no, they didn't respect people, their own property, other people's property. They didn't, they just forced their way around and there was no, there was no uh, uh, basic financial uh, borders that, that is necessary. That, that's one opinion of the Gemara. The other opinion of the Gemara is that people stole from each other in a way that they could never be, that it, it, they could never be held financially accountable. So, for example, in the Torah, it says that in order to, to, for a court to obligate somebody, you have to, it has to be at least a shava pruta. A shava pruta is a financial value. We'll call it, I don't know, let's call it 25 cents, okay? A court's not going to take on a case that it had something worth five cents because you can't buy anything with a nickel, okay? 25 cents, I just had it uh, this morning. I had to take my daughter to the ortho, and outside the ortho, they have these little quarter machines. I'm surprised it's still 25 cents. Most of them have gone up to 75, I think. But this was still 25 cents. Yeah, so, so she, wants a, she wants a double bubble gumball, which I know is kosher. Uh, because my brother Akiva, who works for the OU, told me that all the double bubble gumballs that have a crown on the gumball are from the kosher plant. So if you ever buy these big bubble gum machines... And the gumballs have the double bubble sign on it. You know it came from the kosher plant. All right, that's what he told me. So I was like, "Good, yeah, taka kosher." So I, have, I went. I, I, who carries money anymore? So I went to the car. I got my, I got my quarter. And uh, all right, be it as I may, we got the we, you know baruch hashem. Is exciting. Huh? From the orthodontist. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's not the dentist. It's not the dentist. It's the orthodontist. <laughs> Or the ones. Huh? We all have a problem with that. You have a problem with that. Okay. Well, she was, she was just getting her uh, retainer fixed. So she wasn't, was, wasn't for braces. Right. Be it as it may, now I'm in trouble. <laughs> don't, don't tell my wife. Um, but 25 cents is the minimum you could buy anything for nowadays. Yeah, you're not getting anything for less than 25 cents. So what they would do is, according to the Pindu Gemara, is they would steal from each other 10 cents, 15 cents at a time in a way where people would keep uh, doing this to each other. And again, this was society. So it's not just a claim against the people doing it. You would say, well, why is the whole world being destroyed? Only those people doing it. What about the person who's stolen from? They didn't do anything wrong. The answer is, yeah, that's how they lived. Everybody was just taking from each other in a way that they wouldn't be held accountable in, in court. And again, you, you, the society, that, that's the chamas, that's the, the dispute uh, of the Gemara. But everybody agrees that we're dealing with with uh, financial matters, and that was the corruption that took place. The picture, though, is just a lack of boundaries. I mean, that's the thing. That's right. There's just no boundaries between people. That's right. Which is going on now. Yeah. Everything has to do with boundaries. Everything has to do with... It's a suggestion now. I mean, it's... Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hashem... I'll, I'll twist it to the positive. We're coming up on Hanukkah. She just bring miracles into our world, Bez Hashem. Hanukkah's in seven weeks. 
Um, one of the things that the sages teach us we're supposed to learn from the Greeks is that they went to places where they don't belong. They, you don't belong in the Beis HaMikdash, you don't belong in the Holy of Holies, you don't belong doing any of these things. But they had the chutzpah. They had the chutzpah of, of doing these things. So the Shulchan Aruch, writes that the best place for the menorah to be placed, you know, you know how the Shulchan Aruch writes it, interestingly? He says, you know where you're supposed to place the menorah? Opposite the mezuzah. It's very strange. He says, when you light your menorah in the doorway, it should be on the other side of the mezuzah. Now, you can say, why, there's no room under the mezuzah? Protection on all sides. Huh? Protection on all sides? Yeah? So, the, the Mepharshim explain, the, the Svarim, and this is not current, this is going back, they explain that it's because the mezuzah on your right going into the house, and the mezuzah is meant to Shmira, to protection over the house. When I leave my house on Hanukkah, I'm supposed to have the menorah on my right to teach me that I'm supposed to bring light out to the street. The mezuzah is to protect me inside my house and the, the menorah is to bring light out to the street. Why like that? So they explain from the Shulchan Aruch, Mamash, that it's because the menorah is the antithesis of the Greeks. The Greeks went to a place where they had no, it was an absolute chutzpah for them to go. I'm supposed to take this midah, every midah Hashem put in the world is spent to be used positively. I'm supposed to take the midah of the menorah, this little jug of oil that was found, yeah, that the, that the Greeks broke everything, the chutzpah that they had, I'm supposed to learn from that midah that a yid is supposed to also have some chutzpah out on the street. I'm not supposed to be embarrassed to be a Jew, I'm supposed to be proud when I, when I leave my home, I'm supposed to be clearly, clearly Jewish. You should know, it's fascinating. Last couple weeks, how many people, they're, they're just coming out proudly Jewish when beforehand they're embarrassed to be noticeably Jewish. Yeah, people are purposely putting on yarmulkes now. People are purposely walking around with a Magen, with a magen David. Purposely. It, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's incredible. But it, we're, we're learning from a chutzpah that the world has, has come to, that you're going to try to uh, you know, take this away from me. I'm going to come out loud and proud. I'm going to come out and, and uh, proudly you know, uh, show my Jewishness, show my connection to, to uh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And it's, uh, every midah is, could be used for not good and it's supposed to be used as well in a, in a positive way. Hashem says to Nayach, listen, it's too much going on, too much Hamas. Vini Mashkisam as the world's going to be destroyed. Go build a Teva 120 years and give everybody Musr. We ask the question, why is it? We ask the beginning of Shir. Why is it that Noah, when he heard this, says he gave people Musr? Right? The, he built a Teva so people will ask, why are you building a Teva? Avram, though, says, not under my watch. What's the difference between Avram and Ayach? I heard, and this I don't believe to be a teretz, I believe this to be a pshat. This, it might not hit you the same way it hits me. When I, when I, uh, when I saw this answer, I think it's from Rav Simcha Bunim of Pshischa. To me, this sits very well. I'm very, very happy with this, with this approach. The difference between Adam and Ayach. And Rav Simcha Bunim of Pshischa, I believe it's him. He says as follows. There's, every person could be a tzaddik 
And every person is going to be a different tzaddik because we all have different experiences and we come from different places. Noach's father was a tzaddik. Noach's grandfather was... Look at the list of the names. Mesushalach is Noach's grandfather. Noach came from a list of, a list of tzaddikim. His yichus was beautiful. Noach's yichus was beautiful. Avram, go back... He, had, he also came from that family lineage, but go back... Who was his father? Who was not all that? Go, okay, once you get this out, as Ada, fine. It's great, grandfather, but his father didn't come from a, a family of righteous people, and therefore, like this, Noah, who came from a place of Tzidkus, when he heard there are people that are going to be destroyed with no fault, said, "Okay, there's those types of people." That's what Hashem said. So the world has to be destroyed. Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Some people are tzaddikim. Some people are Hashem. Avram came from disaster. You name the problem, it went on in his family. Hashem tells to Avram, people of Sodom are too far. And Avram, because of his family, said, nuh-uh. No, sir. I, I, God, I know. It's just not, it's not possible. It's not possible. It's, not, it's, it's an impossibility. I'm about Juba. I know what goes on. Don't tell me. And, and, and he starts davening like crazy. On behalf of Sadaim. It's not that Noah cared less. It's just that Noah, his reality was, he was just never exposed to a truth that Avram was exposed to. But Avram could only be exposed to that truth because he came from a problematic place. And here's what I love about it. Here's what I love about it. It's not because... What I love about it is like this. Not because it makes people feel good. What I love about it is like this. Hashem has such chesed that He made everything in a way that you can... Every situation I've been put through can always be used for a positive. You will never find a situation in your life that is only negative. Never find it. Unless you let it be only negative. I could come from Mamish, the worst place. I come from the worst abuse. Built into that is a knowledge I now know something that people who haven't been here will not know. With that knowledge, I could build. And somebody else can never build. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's beautiful. And you, you have Avram coming from a place of, again, brokenness. That place can allow him to see things. That Noah, at no fault of his own, but because he never experienced it, simply doesn't even know it exists. And therefore, what does Noach do when Hashem tells him the world's going to be destroyed? Noach says, oh yeah, everybody just has to do tshuva. Chavar, let's go, let's do tshuva. Yeah, everybody follow, you know, follow Hashem, follow, let's go, let's do it. Yeah, that's, right? And if you don't, you're going you're gonna to burn in the marble, and you're going gonna to drown, and you're going to... That that's what Noach knew. That's what he knew. Avram didn't know that. I didn't know that. It wasn't, it wasn't about Musr. It wasn't about anything. It was like, Hashem, how does anything happen without you? 
uh, I figured this all out, that there's only you. Well, if there's only you, I'm going to stop telling people to do tshuva. That's not my thing. You know what I'm doing? I'm just going to be inviting them into my house, telling them to bench, give them food, give them the chayims, make kiddush in my house. I'm inviting people in, and I'm going to introduce people to you. And when you tell me that there's people in Sodom that are going to be destroyed, I'm not going to go to Sodom and muster them out. That wasn't Avram's Mahalach. You could say, why did Avram go give them mustard? Hey, guys, hello, shape up. There's going to be a mob. Hashem's going to turn over your whole city. And he doesn't even do that. He comes to Hashem and he's like, it's not about them, God. This is about me and you. Because it's always been just about me and you. And here's the deal. There's got to be some good people. I come from, I come from these places. There, there's goodness. Avram even trusted his father, Terach, who tried killing him in the fiery furnace. He didn't leave his father until he was 75. Because he knew there was goodness in his father and his father, as crum and twisted as he was, really meant it for his benefit. Okay, my father's messed up. But I know he has my intentions. His intentions were in a good place, even though he's messed up. Avram never ran away from him. He understood. You could always have this contradiction. You could always have a contradiction here. So he says to Hashem, all right, you want to destroy Sodom? All right, new people are contradictory. Right now, we're all living with contradiction. We have to live b'simcha. It's terrible. It's going to Eretz Israel. We're as Yidden. We, we, we live. We, we learn how to live, crying and laughing at the same time. We learn how it works. I don't know, but as Yidden, like you have to. It's the only way it works. You have security. You have simcha. You know, it's like Adish Baruch and then yeah, and then Nebuch. <laughs> but we learn. We learn to cope. We learn to function. We learn to function this way. Avram was raised with, with this, and he says, that, he says, between me and you. He says, there's, there's got to be some good people. 50 people, God, let's start making deals. Let's go. Let's go. Let's start making deals. Hashem says, there ain't 50. I'm to Avram, I'm telling you, 45. 45. 40. He's going on and on. Give me 10. Give me something. Why is he going? Because he said, it's, he's able to do this, and all of us feel this. Ultimately, well, even though it didn't save, save Sodom itself, it came out in later generations. His feelings were answered. And, uh, and there, there was Lot and the family and Lot's daughters and Amun and Mayav and people ultimately his, his uh, prayers weren't wasted but you need, Avram needed that to come from a place of destruction in order to have that reaction. Nayah who didn't come from a place of destruction simply did not know of that reaction. Okay, more, always more but we'll hold it here for today.